You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Don't limit yourself. Many people limit themselves to what they think they can do. You can go as far as your mind lets you. What you believe, remember, you can achieve. And I want to kick this off. That's a Mary Kay Ash quote for this Saturday, August the 7th, 2021, for Off the Shelf. And, yes, you are my friend. You are listening to the Winnie Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf. And, again, welcome to this Saturday, August the 7th, 2021 show. You guys, we are in August already. And before I go any further, I have to thank our loyal listeners who've been with us for 16 years. The 16 years we on the air, we've been on the air, you've been with us from Rainbow Soul, now over to Blog Talk Radio. And I just want to thank you for joining us, our loyal listeners, and for those of you who might be tuning in for the very first time. We have an insightful and a talented author on deck for you for today's Off the Shelf, and I'm excited to introduce you to her. But before I do... I want to encourage you to take time to take care of yourself. You know, don't limit yourself. And one of the ways that we do, we we put ourselves in situations sometimes, we don't have to, that feel binding. We don't feel free. Sometimes they're in relationships with people who say, you better not do that, and you better not go there. And then we get bound. We get bound by we want to stay in that relationship. It could be a financial bind, something where you feel like you're not free to do really what you want to do. And one of the ways to keep yourself free is to practice self-awareness. And I I wrote a book, Awaking Blessings of Inner Love, that offers techniques for how to stay self-aware, stay free, practice self-care and self-help in such a busy world. And Awaking Blessings of Inner Love, I encourage you to get a copy. It's in ebook and in print. And you can get it at any bookstore. All you have to do is ask the bookstore cashier or customer service rep that you want a copy of Awakening Blessings of Inner Love by Denise Turney. I, I tell people this. Each of us, whether you get the book or not, each of us has to practice awareness, honesty, and can tell when something's off with us because a slight problem can turn into a huge problem in a matter of days, weeks, or months. I mean huge. So you want to stay on top of things so you, you, you can pivot quickly and you're never dealing with a mountain problem. You're always just dealing with small problems because you practice awareness and you, are, you live honest and you deal with things as soon as you become aware of them. Again, awaking blessings of inner love. And there are blessings that come in with inner love by Denise Turney. I hope you go get yourself a copy and bless yourself today. And now... Let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is, and I hope I'm saying her name right, Bonnie Bartron. Bonnie is an award-winning director and screenwriter. We've had a few directors and movie producers on here and screenwriters. She is joining that illustrious crowd. And she loves writing and reading. At her website, she shares that although she has always loved books, it took the world shutting down. For her to actually sit down and write a novel. And that first book from Bonnie is titled Whispers. It's a page turning thriller. Movies that and movies that Bonnie has worked on include Savage Lands, Abducted, and Tropical Wasteland. Growing up, Bonnie lived in two countries and several states. And when she was twenty four years old, she created Battle Buddy. We're going to ask her about that on today's show as well. It's a nonprofit dedicated to helping military men and women make the transition to civilian life. I encourage you, encourage you, you're going to be in for a treat. Please visit Bonnie online at whispersbooks.com, and that's W-H-I-S-P-E-R-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. One more time, W-H-I-S. P-E-R-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Whispersbooks.com. And I have to go let Miss Bonnie in on the line. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Bonnie. Hey, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually Bonet Bertrand. 
I know it's like the most oh, thank you for name ever. <laughs> hey, oh, they no, call you Bonnie Bone. That's you're cool. Okay. I love it. it Bone. Bone. All the time. Bone. Yes, I know. My Bone-nay. parents really wanted to make it difficult on me being an army brat. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. That's something you will never forget. It's just a pleasure to have you. On here, the first few questions, we've been on for 16 years, like I was telling you. I remember the first shows. I started getting emails from listeners, and I tell our guests this, and people told me, you just go right into the interviews. We don't know nothing about the guests. So the first the first few questions, the first about four questions, I ask every single guest who comes on the show to give our listeners a little backstory before I go right into the interviews. So to kick it off, bonk. Bonet, could you please tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Mm, I love that question. Well, I I grew up all over the country and um, overseas as well. So I'm an Army brat, and uh, my father was Special Forces. And so I was born in California, um, but I only lived there for six months before I moved to Massachusetts, where my younger sister was born, and then... We lived in Arkansas, uh, and then we moved to Germany the first time, and then Colorado, and then back to Germany, and then briefly in Hawaii, and then back to Colorado again, and then I actually lived in England for a very brief point of time as well. So, yeah, all over the place. (laughs) Wow. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. But I loved it, and I, you know, I don't know any different. And so I just felt very fortunate growing up to be able to experience other countries and other cultures and get to know people who had very similar lives to my own, though, you know, from the outside looking in, it might seem like we were leading very different lives. So um, I also lived in Iraq for eight months um, in 2009. So, yeah, I've been I've been very blessed to be able to, you know, kind of experience all of, well, not all, but wow. a lot of Oh, my goodness. Regions. I can only <laughs> imagine how that has impacted. How, when you look back on your writing today, from your screenplay writing to your, your novel writing, has, have, do you see where those experiences creep into your writing, where they impact your writing, the, the, just the different places you live, the different cultures you were around? You see people's different beliefs in action, their co- different cultures in action. Has that impacted your writing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think that it was extremely formative to me becoming a writer, honestly. One of the things I realized from a very young age was that, you know, most people were basically the same and the things that make us different are the things to embrace and to, to, you know, get to explore with each other. Like that's what makes the world so interesting for me. And so I would definitely say that being um, exposed to so many different kinds of people and cultures and places, um, because even though we lived in, when we lived in Europe, like we traveled all over and so those things I definitely think not only impacted my writing, but, like, impacted the fact that I, I knew I needed to be a writer. I knew that if people understood each other a little bit more, it might give us a insight into, you know, how to understand each other, really, like how to get along on a different level. And that's one thing that I, I really feel we have with the written word is being able to, and film, obviously, is to be able to put somebody else in, you know, your shoes as an author, as a screenwriter, and give people a perspective that maybe they didn't have before. So that's been absolutely formative to my journey. Okay. Now, when you were a little girl, what did you what did you dream of becoming? What did you want to be when you grew up when you were a little girl? Okay, you're going to laugh at me, <laughs> but I wanted to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> I thought that being a fighter pilot would be the coolest job in the whole world. And then I realized that, you know, the point of a fighter pilot was to destroy other fighter pilots, and that made me not so interested in being a fighter pilot anymore. Um, And so I actually uh, was on the education path to go toward uh, being an attorney, specifically a JAG lawyer. And then, um, to be honest, like, I had made short films ever since I was, like, eight years old. My parents gave me their Super 8, you know, video camera, and I would talk my friends into coming over and making 
short films that I had written on yellow notebook paper. And, uh, it, yeah, some of my friends weren't my friends for very long after the first one. But um, it was oh, something wow. I was in love with. Yeah, I just didn't realize that it was an actual career. And then whenever I was a senior in high school, I ended up starting to do interviews with um, bands overseas for PTV and MTV Deutschland and AFN. And that really opened up the door to being able to pursue something in film and in writing, you know, for real. That is so cool. That is so cool. I love how you go after what you want. It just you can see it where you just you'll just go after what you want. Now you talked a little bit briefly. You did screenwriting. It wasn't until the the COVID nineteen lockdown that you really started going after novel writing. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to pursue writing a novel? Yes, actually. Um... So during the time when uh, I began ruminating on this novel in the beginning of 2020, I had become aware of some extremely disturbing things that were happening in the U.S. And as I mentioned, I'd grown up in Germany, and so I was very aware of propaganda and power of propaganda. And it was something that had always really frightened me, even as a child, the idea that somebody's mind could be altered or changed based on propaganda. And so um, this is before anybody was actually aware of QAnon. Um, And a lot of people were, they were, um, I, I, I fell into the QAnon hole because one of my colleagues actually sent me a link and told me that the reason that, um, my Hollywood career had, hadn't taken off as, as high as it should have at the time was because um, there was like a cabal of people against me. And I knew that that wasn't true because <laughs> I have, you know, I, I've, I've been successful, <clears throat> very successful, and I've also had a lot of people in my life who are at the upper echelons of the film world. And I just, I knew how false the information she was sent me. And it's, sent me down a rabbit hole. And um, because of that rabbit hole, I realized that there was a real and present danger, like a brainwashing campaign is what it looked like to me. And I was trying to speak up about it. People didn't want to hear it. And it was mostly because everybody was in their own echo chamber. So people didn't even realize this was happening. And, you know, in, in normal, normal times, I would have written a movie Um, But I knew there was absolutely no way that we were going to be able to shoot it and put it out with any real impact in time to raise awareness. So I decided to create a fictional world in which I could hopefully illuminate to people what I was seeing without putting them on guard. And that that and the fact that um, so much pushback against Uh, like uh, BIPOC rights and black rights and just the horrors of just watching so many people um, being brutally attacked and murdered and, you know, the apathy that seemed to uh, settle in to, you know, people who were already, you know, granted dealing with their own stuff, being locked away because of a pandemic. But these were things that I felt like I I wanted to say something. I wanted to speak up. I wanted to add my voice to the chorus um, to, you know, try to do whatever I could to elevate um, other voices and, and get people to pay attention who may not normally, you know, or may have already been taken over by the cult um, or by the brainwashing campaign. And so for me, that was what Whispers was. I felt like people were silencing me. I wrote into newspapers. I sent them information. I was shocked beyond words that nobody was covering the content. And so I felt like the the only way I could say what I needed to say was sitting down and writing a book. And so I I did it. And I'm very grateful that I was able to get it out uh, in time. But the book ended up taking on a life of its own. And... Um, I again like I'm I'm so grateful I actually wrote I never I, I never saw myself um 
being an author. And now I honestly love the freedom and the control that you get uh, as an author. As a screenwriter, you know, everybody and their brother has opinions on every single thing I do. But as an author, that's, that's me. That's my heart that I get to put in there. And that's, you know, something that nobody else really gets to corrupt, at least the way that I did the book. Um, so it was, it was a singular experience. It was, it was really fantastic. And I'm, I'm grateful. And it's one of those weird little things that, you know, COVID, like a weird COVID gift. I don't know if you've experienced that, but some, don't get me wrong, COVID's been terrible, but there have been a few little weird COVID gifts. And I think that falling in love with, you know, actually writing books was one of them for me. Long-winded wow. answer, <laughs> Wow. You, yeah, you know, I got more I got more writing done, actually, and I, for myself. And I've heard other people say some of them, they slow down. They're, they deepen the relationships that they have with their children or, or just the deepened relationships. They take, some people have actually made some major life choices coming out of it because they had time to actually slow down and think. So it, 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 it did come, like you said, with some, with some um, like, gifts. I really never heard a lot about this uh, QAnon or however you say it. And then I started seeing it in the media, but I still don't read up on it. There's so many different, uh, oh, my God, there's so many different beliefs. And and uh, it's it's amazing once people get deep into something, it's, it's really easy how easily swayed we can be. It's almost shocking. And and then the people will tell you, no, it's true, it's true, it's true, and they'll, they'll point to every little speck of thing to to prove that what they're saying is true. But then if you dig deep enough, you might find that it's not. But we don't always have beliefs, and we hopefully they won't get to the point where they're uh, like what happened in Germany that uh, with Adolf Hitler that they don't take on a real bad. I mean, like that to where the belief gets that rampant. It becomes extremely destructive and dangerous. All that share, can you give off-the-shelf listeners an overview of Whispers? Absolutely. So Whispers is about three sisters, two by blood and one by marriage. And um, the two sisters by blood are white, and the uh, sister by marriage is black. And they have... um, four children <clears throat> that are with them as well. And Stacy's the single aunt. She is the one who's been kind of chasing her dreams and, you know, being um, a very successful contract lawyer. So she surprises both of her sisters and her nieces with a trip to Disneyland. Uh, I'm sorry, Disney World in Florida. And they also go to Universal and they just have like the greatest. And while they're in their uh, Airbnb, um, the children start talking about a monster that they believe is following them. And, um, you know, the, the parents like Stacy and her sisters don't really think anything of it. They think it's just kids being silly and, you know, overexerted and way too much candy. And then <laughs> one of them is stolen from the Airbnb and the only evidence left behind uh, points to this monster that predates um, America. Colonial America. And so the three women have to tear through fiction to find facts and find where Tilly has gone. And so the story is really about these three women refusing to give up no matter how silly or how how much people want to gaslight them into thinking that this monster isn't real. they they put their their heads together to to find her and it's it's a story really about persistence um as well as you know a I, I honestly like a a way to look at the world in which sometimes we can't tell the difference between fact and fiction and i don't know about you but that for me was a really interesting um part of you know, even like the last five years, just figuring out what, who and what you can believe in. And uh, I think that's something that we all kind of struggled with and still do, you know, to a lot of extent, that there's a lot that we don't really 
we don't really know about and we don't right. know what to believe and how to actually test the source to see if it's accurate because in this, as they say in the social dilemma, right, in this day and age, um, our feeds have been cultivated to our own echo chambers, to our own beliefs. And I think that's something that is extremely scary. And so why not make a horror movie or a horror book out of it, right? Why not write yeah. a thriller out of that? And so that was that was my idea, uh, was to take it in this, this very thriller way. Um, but, yeah, as you were saying, like, I fully agree with you. I really... I think the thing that was really interesting to me about QAnon is it felt, uh, as a screenwriter, like it felt like it was written by a reality show writer. Like it was very poorly written, but it also had like all the hot button things that like, again, had been around since World War II, just like really dangerous language. And it felt very deliberate, um, like the creation of QAnon and how quickly it grew. In fact, I had posted that uh, not for the sixth, but I had posted that I thought something like the sixth was going to happen. And, um, you know, when it did happen, it was actually incredible how many people who reached out to me who um, were just like, I thought you were an alarmist, but oh my God. And that's not something you want to be right about, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, So let me ask you on, on the book whispers and just the way you tied it into you know, events that have happened and are continuing to uh, unfurl and happen now is very, uh, I'm sure you, the readers can get so caught up in the story. But this monster that the girls uh, are seeing, why why aren't the adults seeing the monster? You know, they say kids have this, they can see things because they, they don't have, kids haven't developed strong beliefs in the world yet, so they can they can still see or hear something that adult their mind is blocked it out. Why why don't the adults or do the adults see the monster? Why does it present itself to the kids first? And is, is this is this monster? You said it it's it, and you know what just popped into my mind Stephen King's it. He's <laughs> like this creature that comes up only every so once in a while uh, and does all this damage, but. Is it the monster like that? And why, almost like with Stephen King's It, why are the kids the only ones that are aware of it? Well, I absolutely relish any time that people um, compare Whispers to Stephen King's books. I've been a huge fan since I was a child, and that has actually been one of the more fun things um, to, you know, to have in the reviews is that people have uh, likened it to a Stephen King novel. Um it's a great question. Uh, and to be honest with you, it, it comes down to what we want to think about the world around us. Um, so Mr. Tasty Treats presents himself to children because that's who he wants to um, take. And adults, we don't want to believe in monsters. Um, we don't want to believe in magic either, but we don't want to believe in monsters. Um, even people, like we try to give people so many benefits of the doubt, um, you know, like look at, look at some of the serial killers throughout history who had been caught and, you know, were released um, because people just could not believe that this person had committed these atrocities. So I think it really comes down to, humanity as a whole we don't we don't want to believe the bad things and children they don't decide what they know or don't know they just learn Mm -hmm. and so I think that really I love that question by the way Denise that's fantastic because I definitely think that has a lot to do with why Mr. Tasty Treats was so obvious to the children and so eluded the adults. Uh, now, now Stacy and her sisters, Amelia and Emily, are they close? Are they really close as sisters? Absolutely. Because it's th- oh, they are. Okay. Yeah, all three sisters, like they love each other, they support each other, and they're they're very, you know, they all have very different paths in life, but they all feel as if they are um, like the same. Like they all just come together and like really support and love each other. Um, but you know, Amalia, 
um, she has a different point of view, which also helps her. Um, she sees through the the BS of the world, if you will, more than um, Stacy and Emily do, because Amalia's had no choice. She has been subjected to some true horrors in the world, um, you know, just from the fact that she is a black woman in America in a time, you know, where America doesn't doesn't necessarily support either of those things, being a woman, and God knows women deal with it so much more. But I think that that was a big part for Amalia um, in the book, where she sees through a lot of the things, and she understands instead of falling into myth as much, she understands reality a lot more. And so she's really a guiding force for her sisters in the, or in the, the search for uh, Emily's daughter, Tilly. Okay. So Stacy is an attorney. What does Amalia and Emily, what's, what are their careers? What are, what do they do if, if they do work outside the home? Kind of the so, um, to, picture the, to picture these characters. Absolutely. I love these questions, Denise. Thank you. Yeah, so Amalia is, um, she deals with copyright infringement. She is a researcher and she has her own uh, firm that deals with copyright infringement, which is a very tedious uh, part of the law. And she and Stacy had met in college, and that's how uh, Amalia ended up meeting Stacy's brother, um, and they ended up together. And Amalia still has her business going, but she's also a full time mom. And Emily is a stay-at-home mom, 100%, uh, who, you know, has the, the education to be able to do other things, but has decided that she really wants to be a stay-at-home mom and is privileged enough to be able to do so. And Stacey, like I said, she is, you know, she's kind of the wild card. <laughs> she's kind of the free spirit who just refuses to settle down and be, you know, the traditional family route. Um, but, again, all three of them admire each other and, like, really respect each other for their, their life choices. Like, Stacey's absolutely thrilled that she has four nieces that she can dote on, um, and she just doesn't feel very motherly. <laughs> so, yeah. So now, the, when I was the reading the, the very other. beginning of this story, it seems like a normal situation there in Orlando, Florida. I think they were having a meal. Everything seems wonderful. And then the, these little girls go up missing, turn up missing. For the off-the-shelf listeners who haven't read any of the book yet, can you give a picture of this opening scene uh, for 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 our our listeners? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it starts off with um, Stacy meeting a friend for lunch and just kind of like ruminating on the fact that she feels very different from her other friends. Um, And then she, you know, meets with her sisters in Florida. They're having an amazing time. They got an Airbnb that has a pool. They have, you know, a whole week that's, like, dedicated to just really enjoying themselves and enjoying each other and, like, getting to, you know, really get to spend some time with the children. And um, they, you know, they go everywhere. They, they go to Harry Potter land. They have so much fun, you know. And then um, the kids start getting, like, weirder and weirder about things. Like, they, they cling to, you know, the women and, like, don't want to run so far ahead, et cetera. And the women really think it's because of an incident that happens inside the park, um, which was really disturbing but nothing supernatural about it. And then, of course, um, while they are researching the story, like, well, Stacy actually is researching the story that the nieces had told her um, because, you know, they felt like they could tell Stacy something that maybe they couldn't tell their own, their own mom, and Stacy wouldn't judge her because she's their cool aunt. So Stacy's looking into that, and that's actually the moment um, when Mr. Tacey's treats strike. And they're all at home, and they're only downstairs um, when when Tilly is stolen. Wow! Oh my gosh! So this this character, Mister Tasty Treats. Again, I don't know why I keep thinking of it. Um, is he? He's not a person then. If he was here before, 
during before the you know America was the, the colonists came over here. Um, he's a he's like a he's a being, right? Does he come from another planet? I don't want to get a story away, but he sounds <laughs> right? like a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna a timeless a timeless being that he just strikes every now and then. And yeah, I, I mean, want to ask you, don't without giving a story away. If he gives a story away, then don't answer. It, so what is he? And then two is what is his aim? What is his goal? Great questions. Um, those are things that I would really encourage people to read the book to figure out because those are questions that are definitely raised in the book. Um, and the why, the why I think is even more important than the who in in the story. So uh. I it's so hard to <laughs> to dance around it, but I definitely would encourage you to check it out if that is um if that is the question of the the audience, I would definitely say, Read the book and let me know <laughs> okay, okay. The why is more important than the than the who interesting okay, okay. Um, now, can you introduce our listeners to some of the other major minor characters in the story who helped to move this story, Whispers, forward? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the, the, um, the husbands of uh, Amalia and Emily and Stacey's longtime boyfriend, um, they are really critical in the story, and they end up taking – the three um, remaining children home with them and they do so to protect them. Um, and they also hire a private investigator named Zarin and Zarin is absolutely critical to the story. And um, she makes a lot of interesting discoveries. It's funny. I've actually had a number of fans reach out and ask if I could do spinoff novels. <laughs> with Zarin because she is such a, like, she's such a great detective, and she really took on a life of her own. Um, they also have another woman, Raquel, who is a reporter who is working for a corporation that has very specific regulations on their media, and Raquel decides that the situation, even though you know, again, it feels like they're hunting a monster. She feels like she she has to do something. And so she goes against um, a lot of the regulations that are put ahead of her uh, to try to help the three women find find Tilly. Oh, my goodness. What would you do if you – and I have a child turn up missing. It's like the most panicky thing. Now, why did the mother – and this is in the this is in the in the if you want to read like the the teaser or the the the, the opening sample chapter and this is there. So why did the mother in chapter one? Why did she get so upset? She got so so upset with the older man and Jennifer. Did, did they have a past? Why was she so angry? So um, our mm, and well. Emily, are you talking about Emily? Or are you talking about uh, in the very first chapter the, the very, um, very beginning situation? That I mean, there's a the scene where there's so ah, much anger. Yes. It's like, okay, why are you yes. so upset? Well, an older man um, tries to pick up a young woman, uh, and by young, I mean like a child, um, a 13-year-old, uh, while she's having coffee with her mother, and her mother had gone in to use the restroom. And this man was very, you know, creepily um, speaking to this child um, and really just inserting himself and in trying to um, coax her away from her mom pretty much while her mom was in the bathroom. And the patio of people outside, they can't maybe necessarily hear everything he's saying, but they ignore the fact that this creepy old man is hitting on a 13-year-old. And when the mother comes out and sees that, she very righteously is oh, very yeah, okay. upset. And, um, yeah, and she, you know, she looks around for some backup. And as 
happens a lot to women in this country that, you know, she gets painted <clears throat> as angry instead of people realizing that, you know, she was protecting uh, her child. Yeah. Okay. And I think when I read it, I didn't know, realize it was a little kid. I uh, So that was on me. And I was wondering why she was like, she went almost ballistic. And now when you explain it, it makes perfectly good sense. Yeah, yes. like any mom would. Perfect. Oh, absolutely. It makes yeah, perfectly good sure. sense. Uh, um, now, do you tackle the perspectives of how women are expected to be? There's another thing that came up in Whispers, and I was reading the, like, the beginnings of it. Do you tackle that throughout the story? I know early in the story there's mentions of, like, a strong feminist woman. Is that something also that you take on in Whispers? Absolutely. So Stacey um, never considers herself a feminist because she comes from – such a um, quote-unquote traditionalist background uh, that she, she's been shamed by that word. Um, people have used it as like an attack against her. And in fact, as a lawyer, she is even nervous to take on women's rights um, and women's issues, period, because she doesn't want to be pigeonholed into the female lawyer kind of thing. And so this is also Stacey's struggle with you know, actually supporting other women in a way that's, that's, that has actual movement to it. That's actually like, you know, a real grounded support, not just lip service. And how she struggles with her own internal bias um, and her own misogyny that she didn't even realize was there. Because I think that is the big... Uh, the big evil in the room a lot of times for women is that, you know, we don't want to necessarily acknowledge our struggle because if we do, then a lot of people try to make it like, oh, well, you are, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill. There's nothing there. But in reality, like misogyny works by microaggressions, just like any kind of hate works by microaggressions. And Stacey has to confront her own. So, yes, absolutely. That's the main theme in the book. Wow! Oh, oh my goodness! So you, t- you take, and then again, this character, Mister Tasty Treats. Oh my God! So it's like it's just these the, the characters that you have. Your main characters are so engaging and intriguing, and there's the tie-ins to what's really going on in society today. And then there's this villainous character who. Does he, I, I got to ask you then, he must have. Does he have superpowers? I mean, you know, I think you could, that's not a giveaway, right? Does he, Mr. Tasty Treats, he have superpowers? Mr. Tasty Treats definitely has a lot of power. Um, superpowers, I mean, what are superpowers, right? Some people can snap their fingers and start a war. So what are superpowers, really? Um, and I know that sounds like maybe a little bit. He, he can move through a wall. He can move through a wall. He can be invisible. Yeah. Okay, see, that's superpower. That's something that most other humans can't do. So, like, it's like, okay, how do you catch him? And if he's been right. around this long, how do you catch him? There's another movie I saw that was like that. There was this, this character that came around, and then there was a song tied to it. And when you heard this song, you knew he was coming. And all you could do with this thing was bind it for so many years, but you couldn't get rid of it. All you could do was, like, for 20 years, bind it, and then it would break free mm. again. That was that was mm. uh, when you when your, your character it puts me in that vein of thinking about those types of things. Now, are there real-life events, again, for readers, that that you learned about as you developed this story? Something you didn't know before you sat down and write Whispers, and you're like, oh, my goodness, as you started to research it. Absolutely. Um I had so much, uh, so many, so many hours of research, uh, hundreds of hours of research, and I, I actually used my own family dynamic uh, to write this book, and in so doing, you know, had uh, support from my sisters um, while I was writing this book. So my, my family is actually set up that the same way as the family in the book. My younger sister Brianna has two children that I am obsessed with. 
and my sister-in-law, Erica, has two children that I'm obsessed with, and Erica's black, and she and quite a few of my friends actually um, really helped guide that character because I was very nervous about um, misrepresenting, um, especially in this story, uh, black women. And so I, I was really fortunate to have a lot of people who supported the book, who supported um, the ideas of the book and who were more than just freaking giving with their time and energy to make sure that, you know, um, the authenticity of all the characters were there. Uh, okay, okay. I, again, this story, this is something I tell people when I interview people on authorship. As you listen to an author talk more about the story, the development of the story, the characters, the plot, how the story was developed, it makes you want to go out and get the book. It, it's, there is no ad or anything that can do to me what an interview can as you start to hear more and more of the story as it breaks out. The next question I want to ask you is, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Bonet, uh, do you have plans to turn Whispers into a book series? I can see this being a book series. And, you know, when it comes to book marketing, book sales, they tell you a series is a, 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 a good way to go when it comes to bringing in revenues because people read the first one, now they want to know what's going to happen next. Then they want to know what's going to happen <laughs> next. Or do you have plans to turn it into a book series? Was that your – first of all, two questions. When you initially sat down to write Whispers, did you see it as a series? And if not, now that you have written and released and get feedback from readers, do you now have plans to turn it into a book series? I love that question so much. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, uh, when I first wrote the book, I definitely did not see it as a series. I just, uh, when I first started writing, I should say, I just really saw it as, like, a timely thing that I needed to put out right away. Um, and so only after um, I started getting feedback from the editors and stuff where they were just like, oh, my gosh, you need to write the second book, did I start actually thinking about that. Um, and, yes. There's another book um, being written right now. It's called Whispers in the Storm that I'm currently working on. And that book will probably be out early 2022. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it carries on from where we left off in Whispers, and it really just gets into um, what is happening, honestly, now. So the, the books are satirical, um, obviously, and so they are – um, a parallel, but they are also very fictionalized. Like the point of view of the women is fictionalized, but everything that's happening around them is all too real. And so with the events of what has happened and transpired since the book's release, um, October 6, 2020, um, it has absolutely decided for, without me <laughs> that I have to write a second one. And that is the question I get the most. So I, I appreciate that question very much, um, and I, I think that Whispers in the Storm will not only answer some questions but raise a whole lot more. Wow! When do you when do, when can readers expect that second book to hit the market? We are looking for probably a February 2022 release. Oh, not too much longer. Not, not too, too much, much longer. longer. <laughs> yeah, that's coming up quickly. What it have feels readers like forever, been, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be here before you know it. What have readers been saying about whispers? What's some of the feedback you've been getting? Well, um, I have been really fortunate. We've had over a hundred and I, I think it was like a hundred and forty or hundred and fifty people um, read and review whispers, and it's interesting because it's very obvious. Um, what people uh like what people's lives are from what they thought of whispers um it it was something that I've, I've never actually had an experience like this with anything that i've written but um you know most people oh man they just come back and they're like this was a roller coaster ride it was so intense yeah. a lot of people were so completely um unaware of you know uh what it was being or what was being parodied pretty much what was being satirized um that a lot of people just were like oh my god this book is so intense and it just you know it was a roller coaster ride but um some of my favorite feedback has honestly been from people who have been like 
this actually made me reevaluate what I think about things. And I had one guy say, I mean, it was a four-star review, which, you know, it's so funny that my favorite review is a four-star review, but it was. And he just said that, you know, until he read Whispers, he didn't really understand um, the perspective of women in um, in society and that it really made him do some self-evaluation. And that's one that I, like, literally printed out. You oh, know, wow. I'm like, this yeah. is the one that, like, just really meant a lot to me. Um, and, of course, there have been people who have honestly felt like they were tricked into reading something that really challenged their beliefs. And I personally love reading things that challenge my beliefs and challenge my thinking, but not everybody feels that way. It's good. It's good. You know what? If You know, like I always say I want to awaken, and I tell myself to do that. I have to let go of things that I believe now. And that was, you, you have to. You cannot expect to have a massive change and everything stay the same. So something's got to shake some of your core. Some of your beliefs have got to be shaken. And, and to awaken, or else it's never going to happen. Now, where did you get the idea for the book title, Whispers? Where did, where did, is this, it's like it doesn't fit that story at the first glance, she doesn't think it does, but then as you read through it, it could. Where did the idea for that particular title come from? So Whispers, an American Legend is actually the full title of it. Um, but the the title originally was going to be Rage. <laughs> I was so oh. upset at the time when I was writing the book, when I first put down my outline for it, um, I titled it Rage. And then, of course, Bob Woodward's book came out with the same title. And, I mean, literally, uh, what, uh. two months before Whispers dropped. And I was like, Interesting. And so Mr. Tasty Treats, um, there's a, an ancient poem about him, and that is, he hears every whisper, he knows all your streets. Oh. If you love her, hide your sister from Mr. Tasty Treats. And wow. so I decided the whispers of, and also the fact that we were, again, ignoring um, what other people were thinking to the point where we were ignorant of this entire movement happening um that whispers felt like it it was the right title for the book interesting okay now we're going to pivot and switch just a little bit what inspired you to launch battle buddy oh before we we pivot your, this story whispers sounds so interesting so i want to encourage our off the shelf listeners to 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 support Miss Bone Bartrand and more to enjoy a story. Especially if you like a thriller, a cliffhanger story, and you can learn. You can actually, if you go to Amazon, you can read the uh, the excerpts from the from the story, or you can visit Bone Bartrand's website, WhispersBooks.com. And again, that's W H I S P E R S B O O K S dot com. Check her out and check out the book Whispers, and she just told us the inspiration behind the title of the book, Whispers. But now we're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk about the organizations that Bonet started. And I just want to ask you, what inspired you to launch Battle Buddy? And it's a, it's a nonprofit dedicated to helping military men and women make the transition to civilian life. And I think I already know the answer, but just going to ask you, what, for our listeners, what inspired you to start Battle Buddy? So in 2009, I went to Mosul, Iraq, um, which was the red zone at the time. And uh, I went out to, um, you know, bring, or do like USO work. Um, and I worked at the Morale Welfare and Recreation Centers. Um, and while I was out there, I was supposed to only stay for two months. My father was actually out there as well. He was running um, a security team um, for our base in Iraq. And when he decided to leave, I was supposed to leave with him. And that was two months in. And I realized that, you know, because we were on the front line and we, we were subject to daily attacks um, and bombings on our base, et cetera, that there was really no one willing to come out and run any kind of reprieve for the men and women that were serving um, in Iraq. And so I decided to stay for seven months. 
uh, instead of two. And, um, you know, I, I got to organize concerts and throw barbecues and I taught acting classes. I mean, pretty much anything to try to distract people uh, from the fact that, you know, we were getting shot at and bombed every day. So when I got home from Iraq, um, I had a very deep need to help these people who, you know, came from all different walks of life, um, but all had a common experience. And that was an experience that I personally have even had, um, you know, the realization that most, most people who haven't experienced it are very intimidated by it and or they don't really understand it at all. And when you are leaving that kind of a situation and trying to reintegrate into society, it really isn't to have um, a community. And so that's why I started Battle Buddy was to create a community for people who maybe didn't feel connected to the rest of society and help bring that transition back around so that they would have a chance to, to participate in this, this world again. You know what? I was in the I was in the Navy, and I loved being in there. And when you said you had lived in Hawaii, I lived in Oahu when I was in the Navy oh. before. I did one tour, and I, you know what? I would have thought my ex husband was in the Air Force. He said he's going to do twenty years. If not, I, I had planned on doing twenty years. But when we got married, you can be stationed in different places. I wanted a family, so I got out. Anyway, it took me almost two years. I did one tour. It took me almost that. two years to adjust. I was shocked. I was shocked. And that says and, a lot you know, about you that you were able to in the first place because, I mean, some people never come home. So, and then one tour is all it takes. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's amazing. Service. It's amazing. And uh, uh, people, you know, they always say, oh, thank you for your service when I tell people today. And I get sometimes a little tired of hearing that because I don't think people really I need bet. it. Because when I got out of the service, I said I thought I would get a job really easily, and I mean I got one, but um, it wasn't. It, the, what really happens wasn't what I thought. It wasn't the gratitude right. for being in the service was more just something people said. It wasn't. Mm. I didn't really see it. I didn't really see it in action, and uh, yeah. So I, when you said that, I think that's a that pretty I universal. Think, that's a pretty universal yeah. thing, and it's really depressing to know. But that's absolutely real for a lot of people. Um, there is, there isn't. I mean, they tell you in the military that you've got so many open doors because of this amazing experience that you did cultivate while you were there. But again, a lot of people in the civilian world just really do not understand or comprehend what it actually is, and a lot of times it's intimidating. So, man, I I feel for you, and I I just have a lot of respect for your journey and the fact that you were you were able to find your way back. Um, that's, that's something that, like, I really wish for every single person who has served. And I, I didn't even see combat. Like, I was on a base, you know, and it messed me up. So reality is, like, it is thing. And by messed me up, I don't mean, like, you know, I think that's the other thing that a lot of people don't get is, like, they don't, they don't understand that, like, you can feel completely disconnected from this, this artery almost that was your, your, you know, battle buddies while you're over there um, and still be a, a great contributor to society. Um, and that's something I think a lot of people are afraid to touch. So yeah, I'm, I'm sad that that was your experience, but I, I know too well that that's, that's a fairly universal experience. Now, t- can you tell us about some of the services that you offer, and then also how what can each of us do to support military veterans more? That is fantastic. So one of the main things that I did was I taught people how to write resumes because when you're in the military, ah, you don't very write resumes. good, yes. Thank you. Um, and that was something that I noticed that, like, when, you know, when your job has been, you know, going in front of, like, the the board to get a promotion – it's a very different thing to um, trying to talk yourself up. And also inside the military culture, there's this whole idea of like humility, right? This idea that you don't build yourself up verbally, you let your actions speak for you, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that um, a lot of people were intimidated or are intimidated by, you know, the, the mere act of, 
putting down your skills or knowing which ones um, translate to the civilian world as well and which ones to highlight and which ones to, and how to craft um, a resume and a cover letter for a specific job. I think that's another thing that was a really big um, aspect that a lot of soldiers, I, I asked them, like, what can I do? And that's something I think that if you have a military person in your life, um, something that, yeah, help them write their resume, especially if you're good at it, because <laughs> everybody, you know, needs a resume for any kind of, um, any kind of job, really. And it's something that most military people, I don't know why they don't teach it um, in their, um, what's it called, right when you leave the army, the, I'm, I'm like coming up every wrong word, or when you leave the military, it's, yeah, your, they try to help you. Exit interview. Yeah, they try. Yeah, yeah. they try. Yeah, you're debriefing or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I don't. I just do not understand why that's not a thing that the military covers because it was definitely one of the biggest things that um, I realized with you know the people that I work with that you know just the simple act of being able to compile their experience into a piece of paper and see it. <clears throat> also gives them confidence uh, that they are qualified for whatever they're doing. And I think that is another big part is giving people confidence that, like, yes, you you do have a place in the civilian world. Yes, and thank you for the work that you do because a lot of people that you see homeless and mental health issues, some of them, they did serve in the military and, you know, we gave more than a lot of us would do for the country and, it is a big, big shift, and not everybody uh, makes that shift. So thank you for what you do through Battle Buddy. And then those who are interested in supporting Battle Buddy, you can, again, go to Bone Bartrand's website, uh, and it's at whispersbooks.com, and learn more about Battle Buddy and how you can support the organization which helps support military veterans and people coming out of the of the service. We only have just a few minutes left. I was going to ask you a lot more questions, but I, I don't have time to. So I want to ask you, where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your book, Whispers? And we didn't even talk about your screenplay writing, but where can off-the-shelf <laughs> listeners get a copy of Whispers? Thank you. So Whispers is available at most bookstores and some libraries. So if you don't have it at your library, just request it and your library will stock uh, Whispers if you do want to buy it, which is always nice from an author's perspective. Um, it is available um, depending on what region you're in uh, at your local bookstores, and, of course, you can always buy it on Amazon. <laughs> okay. And do you have any upcoming speaking engagements? If so, can you give us more places where you're going to be where off-the-shelf listeners might be able to catch you? Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so I am actually speaking at a couple of writers' conferences. We're right now figuring out if they are going to be um, Zoom conferences or in-person conferences. But all of the updates, everything that I'm doing um, regarding Whispers is on whispersbooks.com. Thank you so much for letting your audience know about that website. Um, I do keep it pretty well up to date. My team does a really good job of keeping it up to date with my speaking engagements, et cetera. So you can also follow me on Instagram, Bonet Bartron, Facebook. Um, I'm even on TikTok, and I have way too much fun on TikTok, just to be <laughs> warned. <laughs> I even drop writing tips on TikTok from time to time. So that's okay. at Bodipity, but you can just look me up, Bonet Bartron. Again, I'm, I am a little bit into the social media world these days. Um, in fact, I don't know if you guys listen to Clubhouse, but I'm also um, a co-host of the Entertainment Law Exposed Clubhouse on, oh, wow. uh, yeah, okay. on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with David Weiner of UTA, Mitra, and some other fantastic high-level um, directors, producers, and, of course, entertainment attorneys who are answering everybody's questions all the time, and they are just so giving of their time. So all of these things are things I'm very passionate about. And if you are on Clubhouse, just give me a follow, and you'll, you'll get a, a ding-ding every time I open that room or in, or in that room. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What a fabulous, fabulous guest, Miss Bonet Bartron. She's the author of the book, whispers and encourage you to go out and support her she said the second book is going to be a series 
it, it is expected out in February, which is right around the corner, you guys. We already in August, so you can look forward to reading the next book in the series. But first, you got to get into Whispers. Check out Whispers and see what's going on. Mr. Tasty Treats and the kids and the and the three women and the other characters in the story. Again, that's Whispers by Bonet, B-O-N-N-E, Bartron, B-A-R-T-R-O-N. All you got to do is type Whispers by Bonet Bartron, and you can it should come up in a bookstore. So you can get an ebook or in print format. Thank you so much, Bonet, for being here with us so on much, Off the Shelf. And I want to thank all of our listeners. Oh my goodness, I have some people all over the world who tell me, "Oh, I've been listening to the show for so long." Thank you, thank you, thank you. As I tell you, you are amazing. You are incredible. You're awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. I'll see you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bonet, I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Thank you, and bye for now. Thank you.